So we're actually supposed to read from Mark 6, 30 till uh, 44. Um, but all of it is connected from Mark 6, verses 1 that was read. Uh, some of that comes up in our passage today. Uh, so let me, let me read uh, the three verses that we're going to be looking at uh, this evening. If you have your Bible, we're in Mark 6, verses 30. We'll read 30, 31, and 32. If you have your Bible, say amen. Man, if you don't have a Bible, sit next to a Christian. Uh, let's read verses 30 till 32. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Verse 31, and he said to them, come away by yourself to a uh, desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no le- leisure even to eat. Verse 32, and they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, for those who don't know who I am, uh, my name is Black, and I'm the young adults pastor here at Christ Church Midrand. Uh, excited to be uh, leading us for the next couple of weeks in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, but before we jump into that, how many of us were here the past couple of weeks? Show of hands. Listen, we're a church. God knows your heart. Just raise your hand. We're here now. Okay. Uh, Pastor David loved on us uh, through the Bible when he looked at Ephesians, uh, a series that he titled, You Belong. If you haven't listened to any of those talks, I encourage you, go to our website, find those talks, uh, and listen to them. They were really encouraging. Uh, we thanked the Lord for all the love that he's put in David's head uh, that's high. That's why he has a big head. All the love that's in there, uh, and, and he has loved us with it, so we are grateful for that. Uh, some of the, the themes that he looked at in that series, we're going to be seeing uh, this evening as we go through the Gospel of Mark. Okay, let, let me set this up. If you're taking notes, or if you're anxious, if you don't know where we're going, just to kind of give you a road map of where we're going to go. Okay, this is not a new series. It's a continuation uh, we started Mark last year, and so we continue with it. So this evening's sermon is effectively the beginning of the second half, um, and with every beginning sermon of a series, you kind of have to do a lot of things. Amen. Have you ever felt like that, where you're like, yes, this guy was everywhere today, right? Um, so I don't want you to feel like that as you leave, so I'm going to give you a roadmap so that you know where it is that we're going. It's going to be a lot of things because we're setting up uh, where we left off and then kind of getting into our text as well uh, for this evening. Amen. Man, again, I'm a black preacher. When I say amen, it's not a suggestion. You either agree with me or you don't. Amen. Amen. Good. That's good. There's going to be a lot of repetition today, right? Repetition is the mother of memorization. If we repeat a thing quite a number of times, we uh, get to, 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 to learn and memorize that, right? Uh, so when I ask you to say something, say amen. It's good. So here's where we're going. The first thing that we're going to do, right, with all that's packed in this sermon, is first reset the scene, right? What is happening in the Gospel of Mark? Uh, we want to get our minds orientated again to what Mark is doing, okay? All the, the Gospels in the Bible do different things. They are written to different audiences. So it's always important for us as we go through a Gospel to know, what is Mark doing? Who is he writing this thing to? Uh, so we're going to do a bit of that today. And then we're going to explore at a very broad level uh, what discipleship is, 
Most of us have been in church for two seconds. We've heard people say disciples, discipleship. But do we actually know what this discipleship thing is? Uh, So we're going to do a very broad level look at what discipleship is. And then from Mark's perspective, see how discipleship is messy, right? If you've been a Christian for two seconds, you just know that this Christian thing brings you joy. It brings you a lot of freedom. But as you live this side of heaven, there's just a lot of messiness that you're still going to have to go through. And man, some disciples who are messy out there. Man, right? Uh, so we're going we're gonna to look at that uh, as well this evening. Another thing that we're going to do then is, is speak about the hope that we find in the messiness of this thing called discipleship. Okay? Um, and then what we're going to do is pray. Right? Uh, I'm glad. I didn't even plan this with Pastor David, but there's just been a lot of praying so far. Uh, in our service. So what we normally do is that we pray at the beginning of the sermon, at the end of the sermon, but today, say today, Today. man, in the middle of the sermon, we're also going to be praying. This is a visible demonstration of what discipleship looks like. A disciple is somebody who prays. A disciple is somebody who goes to their knees because they know that they depend on God and nothing else. A disciple prays and watches Netflix less. Right? Anyway, that's another conversation. But a disciple prays, right? And that's what we're going to be seeing today, uh, prayer. So in the middle of the sermon, uh, that's what we're going to be doing. And then touching on the three verses that I read. Okay. So again, like I said, this is not a new series. We are continuing in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, this series was titled Under Construction. Right? The reason for that, again, is we'll see later. Because this discipleship thing is messy. And so the truth that you are under construction, right? Uh, David was blessed by the Holy Spirit when he came up with this title. But the truth that you are under construction when you are in the messiness of discipleship helps you to zoom out, helps you to say, hey, listen, I I could be a mess right now. I could not be getting things right, right? I'm not the best, quote-unquote, Christian at the moment. But if I zoom out and pay attention to the truth that God is putting me under construction, I can trust him. Construction sites is messy, right? There's bricks everywhere, there's cement everywhere, and the process of discipleship really feels and looks like that. And so once you know that you are under construction, you can pause and zoom out and say, God, all of this stuff is a mess, but I trust you. I know what you're doing. I know that you have all of this under control. So that's why we we named it uh, under under construction, Another reason for that is, is again, as we sit here, what Mark is going to do for us uh, throughout the next couple of weeks, he's going to be presenting Jesus' call, uh, universal call to discipleship. So what Jesus is doing, he's calling these people, these followers, called disciples, he's calling them into a way of living. In simple terms, that's what discipleship is. It is a way of living that is radically, fundamentally different than the way of living that we find in the world. Here's what discipleship is not. Discipleship is not us coming here on a Sunday evening, opening up our Bibles, listening to a preacher preach, and then taking a bunch of rules that we want to use to measure our performance Monday to Saturday. Right? That's not what discipleship is. Discipleship is not you coming here, taking a bunch of rules into your mind, into your head, and then going back home Monday to Sunday, Saturday, 
and measure your performance. Am I, am I a good Christian because of what I heard last week on Sunday? Am I, am I doing this Christian thing good? Am I being a good disciple because of what I've heard? That's not what discipleship is. Discipleship, again, we'll see, is just sitting in the presence of Jesus, following him, understanding him, and listening to him. In fact, Mark presents the teachings and the life of Jesus. And he wants the teaching and the life of Jesus to influence our lives and change our lives so that they can look radically different Monday to Monday. Amen. Monday to Monday, as we open this Bible for the next couple of weeks, Mark is going to say to us, look at Jesus' teaching. Look at Jesus' life. And the more we meditate on that, the more we give ourselves over to this king who's called us into this life of discipleship. He, he's teaching, he's life will then transform our living from Monday to Monday. Conform our lives to look more like Jesus' life. Conform us to look more and more like Jesus. That is the goal of the disciple. Right? Um, so, how do we get there? Um, as we look at Jesus' life and his teaching, a couple of things come up from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, but four, just for the sake of our time. Right? The first thing is that we as disciples, as we sit here, right? and I actually haven't defined what a disciple is. A disciple is somebody who loves Jesus, somebody who follows Jesus. It's somebody who says with everything that they have, I'm giving over to Jesus. Jesus will influence my life, how I dress, how I work, who I speak to, what I watch, what I listen to. A disciple gives their entire life over to Jesus. So as Mark presents the teachings and the life of Jesus, we will grow in trusting Jesus. And this is, is going to happen so that whatever happens in our lives, we will grow a default to turn to him in anything that happens in our lives, especially when things are messy. We will grow, secondly, in confessing Jesus. Confess him in our work, confess him in how we dress, in how we spend our money. Confess him in everything so that we grow more and more in our allegiance or loyalty to Jesus and his kingdom. Thirdly, the disciple will grow to emulate Jesus. Mark wants you to talk like Jesus. Mark wants you to love what Jesus loves. Mark wants you to hate what Jesus hates. So the disciple will grow in emulating who Jesus is. And lastly, the disciple will grow in resilience because of all the rejection that the disciple faces. Because as you live like a disciple, people who are opposed to Jesus, a world that's opposed to Jesus, they will see Jesus in you. And that's going to make them repel. If you are living as a disciple. And so hopefully as, the, as we get to the end of our series, I pray and hope that we will grow in those things. As you said here, there's the temptation of thinking, well, I hear all that you're saying and it's, it's neatly packaged, right? Um, where's the messiness of discipleship? Uh, well, we know it as we leave these four walls. Amen. We get in our cars. As you sit here right now in the comfort of the green chairs, Right? In the comfort of other disciples, as soon as you get in your car, as soon as you get home, Satan starts whispering. Work emails start popping up. Right? That website you're not supposed to go to, and you know you're supposed to sleep because tomorrow is work, but it was a lot. Right? Discipleship happens out there, and it's a messy process. Some of us will sit here and we think, hey, listen, I, I, I want to tell people how Jesus loves them. I want to love people like Jesus loves people, and suddenly in that moment you lose your temper. And you blow it. And you're not the disciple that you set out to be. Or, or maybe you, you're sitting here today and you're saying, I just want to be kingdom-focused with how I use my money. 
amen and amen, and suddenly you get that call from Limpopo because your cousin has an emergency, right? And then you're thinking to yourself, I want to spend my money the way God wants me to spend it. I know my cousin is lazy. That dude just needs to get a job. But now you're in the struggle. Do I help my family? If I don't, they're going to judge me. Do I spend my money the way God wants me to spend my money? It is messy. Or you thinking to yourself, hey, it's Monday morning. I'm very determined. I'm going to go to work. Tell people about Jesus. As soon as you get there, the manager throws you into a hole of deep work. Now you have to be a good team player. You can't tell people about Jesus anymore. So you have to keep silent. But inside, you are burning because you want to tell them about Jesus. It is a messy process. But Mark wants us to know that there is hope. Somebody say hope. Mark wants us to know that there's hope. And here's the thing, church. The hope is not in your performance. The hope is not in your lack of performance. The hope is not how many boxes you're ticking. How many things you're getting right as a Christian? How many things you're getting wrong as a Christian? No, Mark wants you to know that the hope is in the crucifixion of Jesus. First and foremost, Jesus went on that cross to die and defeat the sin that steals the freedom away from you to live like a disciple. That's what the crucifixion is. That's what Jesus did. That's what Mark wants you to see as you read his gospel. The crucifixion freed you. So that you can have freedom to live as a disciple. It is not hope that's found in your performance. It is hope that's found, secondly, in the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus rose from the grave, if Jesus defeated sin and death on our behalf, if Jesus came out of the grave bodily, objectively, historically, that means everything he said is true. And one of the things he said is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. So Mark wants you to know that the hope is not in your performance, but it's in the resurrection of Jesus that gives you confidence that he will never leave you, never forsake you. Thirdly, the hope is found in the relationship that Jesus secured. You don't secure Jesus' relationship with you, right? If Jesus depended on your performance to secure the relationship you have with him, Church, listen, all of us would be orphans. None of us would have a father. None of us would be in a relationship with God. Right? The hope is found in the security that he achieved for the relationship that he has with you. So the disciple sitting here doesn't look inward. Mark does not want the disciple to look inward, but Mark wants the disciple to look to Jesus. That's where the hope of the disciple is. That's where she'll find hope. That's where she will know that she's under construction and the same Jesus is building her up. This Jesus is the one who is building you up. Amen. I'm going to pray that God helps us as we then proceed and get into our text. Um, and then we'll flesh out uh, all of this stuff a little bit more. So, so let me uh, pray for us and then we'll continue with our talk. Lord, I, I just pray now, uh, Holy Spirit, that you continue helping us. Um, you've been with us uh, throughout the day. You woke us up. Um, you brought us to church. Uh, Father, you led us through the musicians. Um, let's pray now, Lord, as we sit here. Uh, there's a lot of information that we're getting uh, today as we start this new series again or continue in it. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us. Uh, help us fight our bodies right now, um, but give us a sense of understanding and focus on you. Help us to turn away, Lord, from our performance. Um, I pray 
that we understand that there's nothing in and of ourselves that gives us true hope except you. Temba lama temba. Gupila gonga mpela. Gukanya noktula. Gugua wenoweto. We pray for all of these things. Amen. 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 If you're taking notes, uh, here's our first point. Again, I did say repetition is going to be our friend today. Discipleship is messy, right? Uh, discipleship is messy. For those who don't know, uh, I might not look like it, but I'm Zulu. Um, both my parents are Zulu. Um, and, and while you're thinking about that, I am in no sense a purist of the language, okay? I don't have any connections to KZN. I love you, Tutu. Uh, uh, I might have family in KZN. I just don't know them, okay? Um, my parents were born in Tembisa, crossed the highway 20 minutes away from our church. I was born in Tembisa too. If you're wondering how that happens, Tembisa was uh, founded uh, or no, erected by the apartheid government in the 1950s. My dad is born in the 60s. My mom is born in the 70s. I'm born in the 80s. That's how all of us find ourselves in Tembisa. I don't know where my grandparents come from. It's not a conversation that we have. It's one that doesn't bother me. So don't come, come and ask me, where do your grandparents come from? Angaz, uh, and I'm fine with that. Um, but with all of that said, I am still adamant, very adamant. Anyone who, who's in my life knows this, uh, that my daughter, who's turning four in a couple of, uh, couple of weeks, I'm adamant that she learns Isi Zulu that I grew up with. Right? I call it Township Zulu. So if you have any problems with how I speak Zulu, take it up with the hood. Leave me out of it, right? Uh, but I'm very adamant that she learns that language. Why? Because that's who she is. Half of her is hood. She's made with hood stuff, right? Um, and, and a large part of her family speaks the language. Um, and the last time I checked, uh, she is South African and 23 or more than 23.3% of people in this country identify as Zulu speakers. So I do not want my daughter to miss out on a larger experience of her own country. Here's the thing, church. Language is currency. Right? Um, what do I mean by that? If you don't know a certain language, you, you cannot trade ideas with people of that language. You cannot trade expressions. You cannot trade idioms. You cannot trade stories. You cannot trade the tradition of those people. In fact, you run the risk of losing that culture if you don't know that language, you don't even familiarize yourself with that language. Uh, and I do not want that for my daughter. In fact, um, I speak Zulu to her. Uh, I live with her. We do life together. We fellowship. And the language that we speak is an expression of this fellowship that we have. Right? The language that we speak expresses the relationship that already exists between her and I. Her mother speaks English, uh, and so we encouraged her to speak to me in Zulu, just so that she can learn the language. Sometimes when she slips up and speaks in English, I just keep quiet and wait for her to click, and then she speaks Zulu. Um, uh, and I've encouraged other Zulu speakers to address her in Zulu, just to encourage her. Um, you might be sitting here again, and the temptation is to think, oh, it's such a cute story. Right? Stuff is so brilliant. Right? Uh, it's far from it. Ask my wife. It's a mess. Right? The stuff is messy, right? Uh, why? I have to remind my wife, I have to remind my daughter, guys, listen, we're under construction here, right? Uh, this thing will be better. 
but we need to keep going at it, right? It's just a mess right now. And the reason for that is the amount of English that surrounds my daughter on a daily basis. At school, at church, on her tablet, all she's listening to are English speakers. So I have the responsibility of discipling her on a daily basis. Sometimes I actually say to my wife when I pick her up from school, here we go again, I have to re-evangelize this uh, non-convert, right? I have to convert her every time, evangelize her because of the amount of English that surrounds her. Um, I have to disciple her on a daily basis. I have to go through the messiness of discipleship. One thing I've tried to do is find Zulu programs that she can watch. Anyone who's tried this, you'll know that there's only four in the whole country, uh, and two of them are horrible. So, so she gets tired of watching the same thing over and over, and then she goes back to her English programs, right? Um, I, I've been so frustrated at other points that I, I plan to shoot Zulu content myself for my child, right? Anyway, uh, <laughs> but, but I've also tried organizing Zulu day, Zulu dates or play dates, right? with other Zulu-speaking families. Uh, and if you look around, we in Midrand, uh, black families speak English to their children. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so so what, I, what I try and do is, during bedtime, when she sleeps, we try and memorize our body parts in Zulu, right? So... Take it up with the hood again. Uh, so, so we try and do those things. There's a little book that she has uh, with a lot of pictures. So I hold up the book, point at a picture, and then she has to say what the item is in Zulu. Um, and so I've tried a bunch of, of these things. But, but here's where the messiness is. And so, At some nights, church, she forgets all the stuff we've learned. Totally, right? And I have to sit there in frustration. But remember, she's bombarded with English every single moment of her life. Sometimes I get frustrated when I, when I have to reprimand her, and I shout at her in English, which then proves that I'm not a real black dad. But anyway, uh, I, I have to do that because I'm like, she has to get what it is that she's done wrong, and I don't have time to teach, I don't have time to translate at this moment, which then further entrenches in her mind that English is the more dominant language, right? Because when I'm frustrated, I flip to English. Um, Sometimes what happens is because we all speak English around uh, her life, she sees grown-ups speaking English, and in her little mind she thinks, if I have to enter the world of grown-ups, then I have to speak English. So the process of daily discipling my daughter to be who she was born to be is a mess. Right? It's a mess. I need to remember that we are still under construction. But there's days that are really bad, church. Bad days, where I feel like this whole thing is hopeless, will never, ever get it right. In fact, I should just quit now and accept that my daughter will never say Mbuzi, but instead she will say Animbuzi, right? Um, just quit right now, because she'll never, ever say Ubushebenbosi, which means the beauty of God or the wonder of God, but instead she'll say, I can't even say it. Uh, I have to accept that she'll never say her name. Right? On the bad days, I'm like, let's just quit. She'll never be able, she'll never be able to say her name, Nomli. But she'll probably say Nomli Lo, right? Um, so those are the bad days, right? Uh, and I have to just remember that we are still under construction. Here, here's what Mark wants his disciples to know. Here's what Mark wants his audience to, to, to know. Here's what Mark wants us to know as disciples of God. That at some level, the process of discipleship is going to be messy. Right? 
I, I have to disciple my daughter on a daily basis. She is born Zulu, so I have to walk with her on a daily basis in the mess of discipling her into her born identity. And what Mark wants us to see for the next couple of weeks as Christians, as disciples who are born again into the God, into the family of God, that the firstborn of the true son of this family who is Jesus wants to walk with you in the daily mess of discipling you into your born again identity. Amen. Man, that's what Mark wants us to see. His audience are Gentiles who are non-Jews who are converted into Christianity. And he wants them to know who this Jesus is. Who is this king who has called them into this relationship called discipleship? What is this new language, this new currency that they've been called into? They have to learn how to trade in new ideas. They have to learn this new worldview, this new idioms, this new expressions. They need to learn how Jesus wants them to live, move, speak, think, and interact with others and the world around them. This is discipleship 101. It is messy. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, again, told you I'm a township Zulu. Um, how do I know that? I've lived it. I wear it. I've spoken it. Right. Uh, so as my daughter lives in close relationship with me, one, she can trust me as I teach her the language. As she lives in close relationship with me, she can emulate me. She sees me speak the language. Thirdly, she can fall into my arms as we celebrate her every time she learns a new language or cracks a pronunciation. But equally so, she can fall into my arms for comfort when she forgets the same word that I've been teaching her for a whole week. When she forgets to address me in Zulu and she speaks to me in English, she does not have to rely on her performance. She doesn't have to rely on her performance. She has to rely on me. There is hope for her in her mess. And equally so, Mark wants us to see that of Jesus. Out of all of us sitting here this evening, Jesus is the only one who has lived the perfect life of what a child of God is. He's worn it, as it were. He's spoken in it. He's thought in it. He's expressed himself in it. He's moved in it. And so as the disciple lives in close relationship with Jesus, the disciple can trust Jesus as he teaches you how to be a child of God. You can emulate him as you see him from the pages of Mark's gospel and how he lives his own life. You can fall into his arms to celebrate him as he works in you every time you walk in step with this new life that he's called you into. But sometimes you're going to have to fall into his arms for comfort when you forget your identity, when you walk in your old ways, when you speak in a dominant language of this world or the culture that you find yourself in. He's the one who will reassure you. He's the one who will pick you up. He's the one who will remind you that you are still under construction. Don't rely on your performance. I don't know where some of us are here this evening. Some of us might have come in this evening with, with capes that are heavy. Amen. We've been performing, right? You're just a superhero Christian everywhere you go. And it's just gotten tired because you're just tired of relying on your own strength, of relying on your own performance. Some of us are carrying bags as we come into church this evening. All the things that we've hidden from other people, hidden from God, 
because we've been relying on our own performance. We've been looking within ourselves to try and see if we are true disciples as opposed to looking to God. I don't know what bags, what capes you came in with this, uh, with yourself this evening. But one thing that Mark wants to reassure us is that you don't have to rely on your performance. Rely on Jesus. You are under construction and there is hope in your mess. Church, let's, let's look at uh, verses 31 till 32 as we close. Um, Mark says, uh, this is Jesus speaking, and he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Verse 32, and, then, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So as we close, uh, here's one thing that I want us to walk away with um, that Mark wants us to remember, right? not to rely on our performance. This discipleship thing is going to be messy, uh, but God calls us to rest. Right? Amen. God calls us to rest in him in the messiness of this thing called discipleship. Because the temptation that we get as disciples is that when we are caught up in the messiness of discipleship, we want to continue performing. Amen. You want to continue adding on to the mess because something in you believes that if I continue performing to God, to God, doing stuff for God, right, I can clear myself. I've sinned now. How else do I feel better? Well, you fall into the temptation of performing again. And you keep on performing. And what Mark wants us to hear is that part of what discipleship is, is resting in God. Amen. And so what we find in these verses is that Mark repeats this, this phrase uh, in these two verses, the desolate place. What is the desolate place? Well, the desolate place is a desert. And every time that word or phrase comes up in the Gospel of Mark, Mark wants us to think of the Old Testament, particularly in Exodus. If you've been to any Good Sunday school, Exodus, desert, you can find the connection. If you haven't been to a Good Sunday school, please listen to our series that we did last year in Exodus uh, and you'll see what this desert thing is in Exodus. But since we're here, let me kind of give you a bit of what that is. Uh, so in Exodus 9, verses 1, uh, God tells Moses to go, tell Pharaoh to let his people go so that they can go into the desolate place to rest in God. God's people, the Israelites, were in Egypt for close to 450 years, slaving off, working, and being in slavery there. And they, they cry out to God to rescue them. And so God then comes and says, hey, I will rescue you. Rescue you from this work. Rescue you from this performance, as it were, so that you can come out into the desolate place and rest in me. In fact, in Exodus 9, verses 1, God says to Moses, Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. In the ESV, it says, So that they may serve me. In the NIV, it says, Let my people go so that they can go worship me. Right? And so when you think of what rest is, God is calling them to the desert to rest. But to Pharaoh, he says, Let my people go worship and go serve. And so what God is saying, what Mark is saying to us here, is that part of service, part of worship, Mzalwani, Christian, disciple, is rest. That's what it is. When we think of service, when we think of worship, we all think about doing things for God. But Mark wants you to know that part of worship, part of service, is that you rest. Somebody say rest. 
Rest, take a Sabbath to enjoy God, meditate on God, reflect on who God is. Rest with your family, with your loved ones, as the gifts that they are to you from God. Every disciple needs to rest in the messiness of discipleship. Over and over, we feel like we need to perform. Over and over, we feel like we need to get things right. And God wants to remind you, just like these disciples who had gone out in verses 7 till 13, Jesus had sent them to go perform ministry duties, and then they come back. Jesus recognizes that they are tired. And so he says that they must rest. And that's what we need to do. And if, if we don't rest, if we don't enjoy God, if we don't feel like we can take off our capes and just be the children that God called us to be, right, then it's probably because we have fallen into the trap of relying on our performance as the barometer to determine whether you are worthy or loved by God. If you hear me say that you must rest, you're probably feeling to yourself, if I rest, will God even love me? If I don't pack the chairs at church, if I don't go pray some more, if I don't go read my Bible even more, because now I feel like trash for whatever it is that you are going through, and I want to read my Bible, I want to pray some more, I want to tick the boxes and come to church over and over and over again. And God is saying, listen, just rest in him. Meditate on him. Enjoy him. Sit down, literally, like Pastor David, right? Open your legs, I'm kidding. And then just relax. Think about God. Meditate on him. Pray to him as we've been demonstrating up front. Just having a conversation with him. Because the minute you think you stop all the stuff that you do for God, again, you feel like you're not worthy or you feel like you're not useful for him. Imagine if my daughter felt that I do not love her every time she calls me to break out of our normal routine. She says, hey, listen, I think the focal point of our relationship today shouldn't be the Zulu teaching. It should be us just swimming. It should be us painting your nails, which it does. Um, it should be us just watching a movie together. Does that mean that the Zulu speaking stops? It doesn't. But it means that at that moment, if she doesn't speak to me in Zulu, I'm not standing there trying to correct her the whole time, but I'm just enjoying the fact that she's my daughter. She's enjoying the fact that I'm her father. And God calls us to rest. God says that is an act of worship, that is an act of our service, just to connect with our father. I do not love my daughter just because she can speak Zulu. I love her because she's my daughter. And because she's my daughter, I want her then to learn my ways, to learn my language, to learn who I am. I don't love her less because she's not some proficient Zulu speaker. I connect with her because she's mine. And I wonder how many of us feel that and know that in our hearts. God just says, you are mine. You are mine. Not looking for your performance. I'm not looking for how well you prayed today at church. I'm not looking for how well you were tithing last week. I'm not looking for how well you served at the student ministry. I just want you. Come rest. Let's chill. Let's talk to me. Verses 30, listen to what Mark says. It says the apostles, I mean the disciples, the sent ones, they returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Can you feel that? Can you hear that? Just the, the eagerness of children returning back home to tell their father all that they've done and taught. He sent them out, verses 7 till 13. They're coming back with an eagerness just to say, hey, listen, we want to rest with you. We want to sit with you. We want to tell you all that 
we have done and taught. I wonder how many of us sitting here just feel like that on a daily basis. Just want to go back home, sit in the comfort of your house, and think and talk to God. Just tell him all that you've done, good or bad. Tell him all that you've been believing, good or bad. Or, the, or when you think of going to meet with God, you're thinking of a tyrant. You're thinking of somebody who's going to judge you. You're thinking of somebody who's going to have the red pen and say, hey, listen, you didn't speak right today. You didn't do all the right things. If that's how you feel, don't rely on your performance. Just rely on Jesus. Rely on the fact that he hung on that cross for you. Rely on the fact that he rose from the grave. Rely on the truth that he has secured a relationship with you. In fact, Jesus himself, in Mark chapter 1, goes to the desolate place for 40 days. We know from the other Gospels that he was there to prepare himself for his ministry. And it's interesting that when Satan comes to tempt Jesus, he tempts him by trying to rattle his identity. If you are the son of God then you would change these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, then you would jump off this cliff. Why does Satan tempt him that way? Because he knows that Jesus spent time with the Father. He was filled by the Father. He was affirmed in his sonship. And it is from that place of knowing who he is that he goes out to then perform. But most of us seemingly perform so that we can try and get to a place of getting an identity in God. Identity has already been given to you. If you're a disciple, Jesus has already called you to be his own. Rest in that, live in that, meditate in that, while in the messiness of the discipleship that is happening. Let's close with these takeaways. Again, things that we're going to see in the next couple of weeks. One, discipleship um, is messy. Two, the truth that we are still under construction. Because of that, number three, Jesus is our hope in this mess called the construction. And number four, to remember that while we are still in the messiness of Jesus, bringing us to himself and conforming us into his image, take time to rest. Take time to worship him in how you just enjoy him. Not how you perform for him, not how you do things for him, just to be a child and rest in your father's arms. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for that. Father, we are grateful um, for your word. We are grateful that you are a God who cares so deeply for us. We know how, how deep your care goes for us because of what you have done on that cross. Father, that crucifixion is, is just a, a clear reminder to us that we are free. Free from the sin that so easily entangles us. Free from the sin that deceives us to try and go back into performance mode. Thank you for dying for us, Jesus. Thank you that you rose from the grave. Thank you that you have called us to life with you. And so I pray, Father, for those who are disciples, that you would remind them to rest in you. You are our final rest, Jesus, our true Sabbath. To live with you, to enjoy you, to remember that we are children who are loved by you.
thank you for all of these things and we pray for the next couple of weeks as we dive deeper into the gospel of Mark um, that you would continue speaking to us Lord in your wonderful and precious name we pray Amen